We'll give you a pass. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you a pass on that. Good morning, everyone. Golly, this is a whole nother setup, isn't it? Neat. We might like it better. I don't know. We'll see. I'm glad you're all here this morning. I've been up all night because I have a message I didn't want to preach. It's not bad. I just don't, it's just not one that I, um, it, it's just one of those things that's, it's hard to deliver if people don't have understanding for it. You know what I'm saying? But I felt like I have to. I have to do it. Otherwise, I mean, I'm just going to be wrong. I mean, I, I'm going to live under the principle I'm going to talk about today. This is, a, this is a, a Joshua 24 moment for y'all. You know what I'm talking about when I say Joshua 24? That choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is also a Jesus moment. That those who have ears to hear, let them hear. You may not all have ears to hear. What does that mean if you don't have ears to hear? It, it, means, that you, it means that you will not let spiritual understanding come into the realm of your perception. And not just come into the realm of your perception, but you begin to act on what you hear it's worthless to understand some something if you don't act upon it right i mean when you ask your kids see that was the the shema was the greatest prayer that's prayed twice a day right the shema how many of you know what the shema is what what does it say here shema means here is that right deborah here shema here listen here here listen so yeah, the Lord, He is one. That's that prayer. It's in Deuteronomy, the Shema. See, the word in the Hebrew for Shema, to hear, it doesn't just mean to hear. It's like when you ask your children something. When you've asked them to do something, you say, do you hear me? Are you asking them if their ears work? What are you asking them? You're requesting a response. How many of you clean your room do you hear me what do you expect yes I hear you say clean you're wanting their room clean there's a response say law respond you know in the in the Psalms over and over it'll say it'll say something and it'll say say law respond think about it and respond not just think about it respond 
respond. That's, so that's what we're going to do today. And as we open in prayer, I know that there are many needs. We've had some, we have a procedure coming right here, different need. Yes. Okay. Double help, we're going to pray. You're good with it? You're good with it. We'll just pray for new hips. Yes. With, well, here, here's what I, I mean. This is just me. So this is, again, this is a response device for me. I mean, let me just look right here. Let me just see if I have it. I may not. Oh, I did. I have one. How many of y'all carry communion cups in your purse? Yeah, no, I take communion all the time. You know why I take communion all the time? Because this is my, this is my victory. And if I, this is my medicine. And if I have, when I, <clears throat> when I worked, I mean, that's what, that's what Paul told the church at Corinth, right? He said that because you don't know how to rightly discern the Lord's body, that has to do, it's twofold there. It's how they treat one another in the body because he re references that if you look. Then he also talks about that you, you don't rightly discern the Lord's body, that the, the completed sacrifice. He said that's why many of you are sick. Many of you are weak. And many of you have already fallen asleep. So when I had a, my, for a year, my knee, I mean, I'm telling you, it was debilitating to me. You know, I, I sat in my office. I pulled up a picture of a healthy knee. I did. I spoke to every ligament. I looked at that knee and I said, I speak by the word of God, the arterial, lateral, you know what I'm saying, the, the patella that I spoke to. I don't know what's wrong with my knee, but God knows. But I spoke the word to my knee. And I said, and in Jesus' name, this is my covenant agreement with my body that anything that does not line up to by his stripes I am healed it has to go in Jesus name I take that into me and I align myself in agreement with the word I never went to the doctor I'm not saying it's wrong to go to the doctor about your knee or your problems if I went to the doctor about my knee they'd want to do surgery I've already had two I don't want another one doctors are worthless in my sorry not really doctors have their place <laughs> They just are not as wise as my doctor. Now, as your faith is, if you have ears to hear, that's just one place. So anyway, I mean, I, do, I take communion all the time. I tell people to take communion all the time. Examine yourself. See, Lord, search me, try me, see if there's anything. God, am I out of alignment anywhere in my life? Then that's, then that's my truth right there. That's the truth of my life is that I am healed in Jesus' name. I happen to believe it. So as we begin in prayer today, let's just lift our needs to the Lord. God, I pray, Father, for a download of faith in this house. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear, God, hearts to receive, Lord. You know, Lord God, that I want people who will hear this message and apply it, Lord. God, I don't want to exact something from someone through manipulation, God, but I want to bring them into the kingdom of God by your word, in Jesus' name. Okay, so as we start, we're going to, we'll go to Genesis, you can just turn to Genesis 26, and we're going to read verse 1, and then we're going to read verse 12, but we're going to go to then John 6 a little bit. The Old Covenant, I ran across this in my notes, I don't know if I've ever shared it. The Old Covenant, I think, can be defined 
in this. I am really all about simple definitions to things. The Old Covenant says this, do this and live. The Old Covenant, do this and live. The New Covenant, live and do this. Live and do this. If you try to start your doing from a place of non-living, then you're still just trying to work out something. Live and do this. Before, Paul told Timothy that in order to use the law rightly, so the law was good if you use it right. Y'all know what I'm talking about there? It's a scripture. The right use of the law is to what? There you go. Slay a person with it. The law is to bring you, I mean, I've told y'all that before, that the law doesn't die. Who dies? You do. The law slays you in that it shows you through God's ordinances and what he requires of you, what do you ultimately come to the re realization of? I can't do this. I'm going to have to have a whole new nature. Bingo. So then it brings you into the grace of Jesus Christ. And here's what grace is. There's grace on the new. Grace is not as it has been, I believe, perverted in these, these modern times to be. I know everybody says it's unmerited favor, and technically that's okay. But I think that, that that verbiage has led us to believe unmerited favor as though it's just something that God just gives you so you can continue to live your life however you see fit. And that's not grace. Grace is, this is, grace is activation of the will of God in your life activation to do the things that God would have you to do. This is the way I would describe it. When grace is on something, it is harder to stop it than it is not to do it. See what I'm saying there? And that makes a whole nother, right? When grace is on something, it would be harder for me to stop doing this at this point. That's how grace works in my life. For me to stop serving the Lord would be much harder then would be for me to just go ahead and do it. Yep. Does that make sense? So, as Mike has said before, grace makes you um, ruined to the life of sin you once lived. Grace ruins sin for you. And that's just what it is. So, grace. So, the Lord in 2016, I began my ordination process, which is a study. You know, you have to study. I do 12 courses and the whole thing. And I had my, I had, you go through, in the Assemblies of God, you go through three licensing um, tiers. You go through certification, and then you go through license to preach, and then you go through your ordination. And all of them have to have a year in between, except for licensure. And I think you have to have two years. You have to hold it for two years before you can be ordained. So it's not just like, they don't just, in, in the Assemblies of God, they don't just, you know, give you a red nose and call you, you know, a clown. There you go. You're not just, you're stepping into something. This, it's the, there is a study involved. And so I started that, and my first course I did was the Pentateuch, and so the first five books. And I began, and the Lord just, just, just dropped a grace on me in 2016, a grace for study. I mean, I, you can ask my husband. It, and the Lord told me that he was going to take me through a season of study. And that he was going, and I've told you all this many times, that, that he was going to deal with my belief systems and my traditions and just, I mean, just go through it. I have read, there was such a grace on me for study. 
I'm telling you, I, if you I've read it. Yes. What did you read? Yes. I'm not bragging. See, I couldn't have done that, but there was the grace on it. It would have been harder for me. See, many people are like, well, you paid the price. I paid no price. I couldn't stop. It would have been harder for me to stop what God had graced me for than it would have been for me to just not do it. I couldn't stop it because there was a grace on it. And so I read. I read all the time, didn't I, Mike? I read everything. I read, I read Athanasius. I read Tertullium. I read Irenaeus. I read the Reformers. I read the Morrow of Modern Divinity. I read Luther on Galatians. I've read everything that Michael Hauser has ever written, The Unseen Realm. I, I've moved through. I read Andrew Murray. I read Watchman Nee. I read it all. I read it. Just the Lord would give me. And he, the one thing would lead to the next. I moved into, I'm reading right now a Catholic commentary on Hebrews. One of the best things I've ever read, read, ever. See, the Lord began to break me out of my echo chambers. Where I no longer, and so in this, I've read, and people ask me all the time, what are you reading? You, know, you don't want to probably read what I'm reading, unless you want to read Luther on Galatians. And so I try to give people books I think they might like. You know, here, you might like that. I mean, you can ask, Mike, is this true what I'm saying? I would read, and then I got to where I would read a book and I would read it twice. And there was a great, now you're saying, are you bragging? No, I can't brag. I can't brag. But see, since then, you know what's happened? The grace has lifted. It has. So now I, I go and I read. I still read, but not like it was just totally different. I've entered an entirely new season in my life. See, this is how grace works. I don't work grace. Grace works me. And so here I am, and I, I still read, but I don't read like I once did. I just don't. I mean, the Lord gave me a challenge. said, I want you to read the Bible in 90 days. I was like, 90 days? Most people try to read through in a year and fail. And so I divided, took the chapters, and I divided it up by 90, and that's 18 chapters a day. Well, then I got really afraid of not, you know, if you get behind one day, that's 30. I mean, you just do the math. It's like it starts snowballing on you. So I read so much all the time, all the time. All I did every, every stoplight, Mike would go into a hospital visit, and I read the Bible. He would go, I mean, we were together. I read, every time we had a break, we were watching a movie during commercials, what did I do? Read the Bible. I did. I did not want to get behind. So God gave me a challenge to read the Bible in 90 days, and I finished it in 60. Why? Because I'm so awesome? No, because there was a grace on it. There was a grace on it. And so, see, I, want you, I just tell you that to tell you this. I want you to understand how grace works. I don't work grace. Grace works me. And so I live first, and then I do this. So my doing is a result of my living. My doing does not bring me into living. My living brings me into doing. That's grace. I hope that makes sense. So the next question is, how do I deal with the darkness in my life? I mean, if you're wondering about these notes, I wrote them at 820, 8.20 this morning. I'm like, Lord, I'm not even going to be, I'm going to be late doing this. He's like, well, you should have done it earlier. How do I deal with the darkness in my life? Introduce the light. Introduce the light to darkness. There is a grace for this today. This is the, the day of grace that we live in. There is a grace for you to introduce your darkness to light. But Joel tells us this. I'm going to read it to you as we go. Joel, 
3 and 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. That's Joe 3, 14. I heard a testimony of a Messianic rabbi who, he died on a heart procedure. He was having a heart procedure done and he died. Another one of the reasons I don't like doctors. They're always killing you. And so, had a heart procedure and he died and he went to heaven. And he met Jesus and Jesus, his last name is Felix. You can look him up. Something Felix, but Felix, rabbi who went to heaven. You'll find him. And so, He's a spirit-filled guy, and, he, and the Lord began to tell him, line out some things for the future. It was before the last presidential election, and the Lord told him that Trump would not be president. He came back and said that. when he, They brought him back, and he had these visions, and, oh, man, he was blasted. Blasted for saying that because he was one of the only ones who was saying that. But he was blasted. He's like, I can't help. what I'm just saying what, I'm just saying what I got. And he was one of the only ones, and he was lambasted for that stand. And so he then had another, he had another, I just tell you that to show you, you know, a prophetic accuracy. So then he had a, another vision, and he, he said that this year, which is the Jewish year, somebody help me who knows it, 80, what is it, Deborah? do you know, the Jewish year? Just off the top of your head, I know it's hard. It's like 83, 57, 83. Okay, 5783 is what I think it is. He said at the, the head of this year before it, just before it, he, the Lord gave him a vision, and he said this year, 5783, will be a year of decision. It will be a year of deciding. And what you decide, this is what the Lord told him, what you decide in this year, you will be rewarded for in the next it's going to be good for some, depending upon, depending upon your decision, depends upon the outcome. And so as I look at that, and, I, and there's a, you know, I'm talking about there's a grace on things. So today, so how do we deal with the darkness in our life? We, we deal with the darkness by bringing it, introducing it to the light. How? How do we introduce the darkness to the light? I know, I know that just sounds clever, we introduce the darkness to the light, but how many of you are like me, you want really practical things? So how do I do that? How do I introduce the dark? That's one way. But there has to be, so just, we could just read, so you're telling, see, that's good, but there has to be a grace for the response. Respond. There's some act of that. You have to respond. It may be showing God's love. I, how do we show that we love God? There's one scripture I'm looking for here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's a grace on that. So you can never take disobedience and put it in the category of grace. They don't fit together. They're discordant with one another. One is dark, one is light. You cannot, no matter how hard you try to varnish your darkness, dress it up in culture or religion or even your past performance. I didn't get, you know, I've been doing this my whole life and it's not gone bad. Until it doesn't. And so there's a, we have to introduce the darkness. We have to come in darkness 
We come in with an opposite spirit. So you introduce, if darkness says to you, Dolores, you're no good, what's the opposite spirit? See? I am good. You can bring the word to that. The Lord says, the word says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Therefore, I am good. So what you, how you've introduced your darkness, that lie of darkness, to the light is that you have come to it with an opposite spirit. I've told you all this many times. When fear tells you to do one thing, what do you do? You do the opposite. If fear says sit down and shut up, stand up and shout. Come at it with an opposite spirit. Now, here's where we get to the part that the Lord has been speaking to me. See, y'all thought that, was, that, that wasn't even it yet. Today, in our economy, we have an economy right now of lack. How many of y'all have noticed that? It's, we live in an inflated economy, right? So it means that wages are stagnant and the cost of goods are going up. So in the spread of that equals what for you as a consumer? Higher pro- you make less money overall. You have less things. You live what we would call in a biblical standard, we are living in a time of drought or famine. Right? Just this is what we're fixing to go to. So as I'm looking at this, now the Lord, how long, how many months ago was it, Mike? It was several months ago, right? Before it was just on the eve of the presidential, it was right at the presidential election. We're shifting over. The economy wasn't bad yet, right? Gas prices were still under $2 a gallon. No matter what Joe Biden says, they didn't, he didn't inherit $5 a gallon price. We're, we're, that's recent history. I'm even good at that. So we, we live in an economic situation where I believe everybody in here, I just paid for Parmesan cheese yesterday at Brookshire's, $7. Okay. Right, so we, we all understand, we understand, all of us now, we're in the same pot, right? You understand this, you understand this. So the Lord then has awakened something in me, and, there, and what, this will, what this will tend to, what this will tend to in your life is lack. True or not? That's not hard economics, Andrea. You make the same, everything costs more, what's that equal? Lack. Lack is a result of darkness. Poverty is a result of darkness. Now, see, that makes some people mad right there. Poverty is, because people say, well, it's not a sin to be poor. No, it's not, but, but poverty is a result of sin. Somebody, I didn't say it's yours. I didn't say you're sinning being poor. How many of y'all believe this? I was raised in poverty. Mike, he married up when he married me. I lived in a brick house. Come on, right? We both grew up in poverty. When it, we, to what I mean we grew up in poverty, we always lived in an environment where there was never enough means to pay the bills. Never, never. Money was the biggest worry in every household. Now, Mike lived on food stamps. and all, I, Now, we didn't. We were, we were, that's why we were a little bit more. It wasn't because we didn't need them or didn't qualify. My mother, oftentimes, she would say, when the free lunch thing would come home, she'd say, Andrea, I'm going to fill it out. I said, you do? and I'll never eat again. You're like, well, you're proud. Yeah, that's what we call that. I just didn't want to. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't have. I wasn't going to go, because I lived in a, I had a small school, and the kids who ate free lunches, you could tell. I mean, I'm just being honest here. 
You know what I mean? And I didn't want to, so I just wouldn't eat. If she did that, I wouldn't eat, and I, I meant it. All she had to leave me was 50 cents for a Dr. Pepper. So we grew up, both of us, with food shortage too, right? Mike went to college, and he had absolutely no money or food. He almost starved to death his first year of college. And that's not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that like, you know, we say that I'm starving to death. No, legitimately, he had no food. And so there was food. So we grew up in poverty. So lack was a part of our life, right? It was a part of our life. And we did not know how not to be poor because poverty was handed to us. We weren't taught to save. We weren't taught to invest. We weren't taught to do anything other than perpetuate poverty in our life, right? Now, he went to college. He thought because the world had taught us that much, if you want a better job, go to college. So he, you're like, I'm combating poverty, and he went to college. And so I married him. I loved him, but I wasn't going to marry someone who I didn't think had any means. So I had enough understanding of how to break poverty. But you know what? Right. But that wasn't enough. Because even though he got a degree and he was making money, what was still happening in our life? Lack. We were still poor. Because poverty is a spirit. Poverty is a wasting spirit. Now, poverty may not necessarily mean money. It has, it has a full range, a full range of weapons it uses against you. Oh, vices. Vices that tend to poverty. What are vices that tend to poverty? She girl knows. <laughs> Overeat. Wow, vices that tend to poverty. That's good. So we have this. So I don't think there's anybody in here that wants to live in poverty. But see, yes. Uh huh. Yes, absolutely. So the problem, the, what poverty is, poverty, the main ingredient for poverty is greed. Is greed. That's it. Well, there's. It's it's a it's a. Poor is a condition, broke is temporary. Okay, so we we can say that. But see, what we're coming at today, how do we introduce darkness? How do we in this situation? That's good. So we're going to lean into. But, you know, I, I'm going to talk to you about today, you know, today's economy, this economy of lack, inflation with stagnant wages, stock market is in decline. Anybody who has a 401K knows what I'm talking about. It's a time of drought, right? How many of you have seen your 401K just go, I mean, it's been a great year for you. No, no, it hasn't. You're in, we're in a time of drought. So how many of you would like a biblical response to that? Okay. Genesis 26, 1 and 2. Who has this? Who, who, who has it? I didn't even pull it up. I'm telling you, I just did this this morning, so I may have pulled it up. Oh, I can find it over here. Let me see if I can go. I'll read it in mine. Helps me when I look at it. Oh, I do have it. 
Okay, now, now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Can somebody say that with me? Do not go down to Egypt. What does this mean for us? Don't return to Egypt to try and answer uh, spiritual means by worldly methods. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to... Okay, anyway, I'll just let you all work on that. So... And he tells him, but, you know, but it sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because what? There's a famine in the land, and there's drought, and Egypt has supplies, and this has worked for the children of Israel before in times past. Remember when there was a famine in the time of Joseph? They went, so we're like, that's what we do. We go to Egypt, or we don't after we've been delivered. Right, there there was a grace on Joseph for preservation, be careful that the grace that you're trying to reach for is not a grace of the past. If you're, you're going to be looking for the grace of the future. So and he, we go, and then what we find out, that so God says, don't, no, there's a famine here, but don't go down to Egypt. Okay. Abraham went to Egypt during a famine. He picked up Hagar. He did. You can read the stories, but that's, I want to go to 26 now. What's 26? Help me get there. I'm not putting my glasses on. Believing for healing. Okay. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar, is that 26? Okay. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar, from Azuzah, whatever, the advisor of these people, you know, with these weird names, the commander of the army, Isaac said to them, why do you come to me seeing that you, this is not the one I want. He swore between him. Oh, it's 26 and 12. Thank you. Gosh. I was like, this is not working. Okay, so let's go to 12. This is what I want. Thanks for listening to me, John. Okay, and Isaac, okay, so it's a time of famine, and Isaac sowed in the land that year and reaped the same year a hundredfold. The Lord had blessed him, and he became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped, so we go on. What did Isaac do in a year of famine? drought. How many of you think that makes good sense? But it makes God sense. See, so how did he respond to the darkness of drought? He came in with an opposite spirit and he sowed. And so the choice is ours and ours alone today. This is choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you have ears to hear, let them hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Now I want to go to John 6 real quick. Years ago, <clears throat> the Lord spoke to me. It was 2002, maybe three. We lived in Hot Springs. I always remember when the Lord speaks to me, and it's very specific. I mean, you just, I'm, I'm sure you knew the same thing. The Lord spoke to you. You can remember what you were wearing almost. You know what I mean? You're like, and I was doing this, and I was walking in my house at this place. I mean, this is how it is for me. I can tell you everything about the moment. It's like it just freezes in time. And the Lord spoke to me in my study one day, and he said this to me. He said, Andrea, don't be a need seeker. Be a seed seeker. I went, Lord, I don't understand. He said, it's okay to pray for your needs. He said, but I want to take you to another level. 
Need-seeking is a low level. Asking the Lord, Lord, I have a need, meet a need. Have a need, meet a need. So he said, I give bread to the eater. He said, but I also give seed to the sower. He said, I want to make you a sower. And he began to tell me, he said, you cannot grow what you do not sow. And you will never stand, he told me, in a field of harvest that you have never sown. You will always be in the place of have a need, fill a need. Have a need, fill a need. He said, I want to make you a lender and not a borrower. And the process to do that is to make you a seed seeker. Now, I want to clarify here. There are three different levels of giving. Tithe, that is the first 10% that comes off of your income. That's what, this is how, Mike, do me and you live this way? We get our first 10%. We give it and we track it. People tell me all the time, oh, I don't track that. You don't track it because you don't tithe. I told y'all this is going to be tough. What I mean you don't track it? You don't know at the end of the year what you've given. How do you know if you've tithed? I tithe. At the end of the year, I do an income tax. How many of y'all file income tax? There's a number. My giving report better be at least 10% of that. See, if you don't keep track of it, how do you know if you're tithing? How do you know where you're tithing? Where does tithe go? Somebody tell me, where does the tithe go? The tithe goes to the storehouse. Where's your storehouse? Where you eat? That's stewardship. So you're stewarding. How many of you just throw money out the window? You're like, when you go to Walmart and you get gas, how many of you go to Brookshire's and pay the bill? I got gas at Walmart. Here, Brookshire's, I want to pay you for my gas. How many of you eat at Cotton Patch and go to McDonald's and pay for your meal? That would be theft. <laughs> so I'm talking to y'all about something this may offend you. I don't care. This is for those who have ears to hear. And so we give. You say, I've already talked, I'm not going to talk to you about Old Testament. The, the tithe is before the law, guys. If you say that tithing is not in the New Testament, please read Hebrews 7. Please read it. We, pr we tithe now after a new order, not after the order of Levi. We tithe after the order of Melchizedek. Who is the priest after the order of Melchizedek? That'd be Jesus. I mean, I pay my tithe to, you know, when I do that, I'm honoring that priesthood, Jesus. And every time I pay my tithe, you know what I do? I say, you live. You live. I, I declare the resurrection every time I tithe. Because he's a priest that never dies. Because he wrote, that's Hebrews 7, guys. See, the Bible doesn't spell things out because the Bible is not for everyone. It's for those who have ears to hear. Jesus said that all the time. I'm not talking to everyone. He, he says, why do you talk in parables? He told him why he talked in parables. He said, I talk in parables because the parables are to hide for the things that people who seek things out will find. I'm not interested in talking to people who have no desire to seek. He said it is the, the proverb said, it is the desire of the Lord to conceal things. It is the desire of kings to search them out. So Jesus is saying, I use parables to hide things for kings. 
Because revelation comes with a high price tag. Because revelation must be used. That's here at Shema, here. Revelation has to be used. The Bible says that those who, those who hear and don't use, even what they have will be taken from them. See, that is a, that's an ominous thing. So if I give you, if you have a revelation and you don't use it, the revelation you've had will be what? Subtracted because of how you dealt steward-wise with the revelation you just got. So please hide this from people. They're already bad enough. It's a mercy of God that he hides revelation for seekers. Because seekers find, askers receive, and the ones who knock, the doors open. Because he knows this about you and he knows this about me. I will never, ever, never, ever, 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 ever knock on a door that I do not believe has the answer. I won't. Why did the man get up at midnight and go knock on his friend's door? He knew he had the bread he needed. He didn't knock on the neighbor's door. He didn't just go door to door to door to door to door to door. He went to the door. He knew he had the answer. You knock on doors that you believe have the answer. Why is it that I don't gamble? I don't go to casinos. I don't buy scratch-off tickets. That is not an economic system for me. That is a poverty system. It's a poverty system. You know why? It doesn't work for everyone. Your winnings are someone else's losings. Lock it or lump it, guys. This is the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I take my, so tithing is the first level of giving. Tithe and offering. The next, there's alms. What are alms? Gifts to the poor. It's when you give Maybe the, the homeless person on the street and the Lord prompts you and you go, oh, hey, here's $10, here's $20, here's whatever. That's an alms. That's just alms. That's alms. A-L-M-S, alms. It's doing something, a benevolence to another person, someone who's poor. It's giving alms. Well, I do, are tithes alms? They are not. They are not. Well, I tithe. I just don't know where it goes. Sometimes I give to the person on the street and sometimes I give over here and sometimes I give over there. Well, you don't tithe, friend tithe go to the storehouse that's that's what this is the word this is the word and so then there's another and this is where I wanted to get to see I, I did all that offending just to get to this one other place of offense and that is seed sowing this is a third area of giving is seed sowing now the Lord told me to be a seed seeker not a need seeker I understood that I, I meditate on so I had to find a scripture because I like scriptures don't you so John 6 is this. Um, John 6. Okay, dear God, I'm going to have to put on glasses. Why do you have to get old? Okay. Oh, I want, I'm glad you said that, Mike. The Lord told me this morning there are two areas in your society. That's what he said, like this wasn't his society. In your society. In your society, like your children. There are two areas in your society that have the greatest potential for power that are completely destroyed by the enemy. He said the first one is sex and the next one is money. 
two areas in your society that are completely destroyed and overrun by the enemy because the enemy knows the power they have. It's in the area of sex. I'm talking about covenanted sex versus uncovenanted. I mean, sex is everywhere. And it's not the covenanted type. And then the other, so it's perverted, right? Sex is perverted. Because when you can pervert something, you can take away the potency of it. The next, he said, was money, the area of finances and giving. He said that is perverted because it has been brought into the kingdom of darkness so that people try to stay away from it. So, I mean, you can't, you can't do what God's called us to do. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell combined. He did. It's in, you just check it out. So we see this here, John 6. I want to read this to you. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs that he was doing to the sick. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples, and now the Passover and the feast. And um, lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd was coming to him, Jesus said to Philip, Where, um, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Do you think Jesus was confused about where they were going to buy bread? He is revealing a poverty situation, a drought, right? That's what he's doing. He's revealing it. And he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread, a year's wage would not be enough to buy for each of them only to have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what is that among so many? Andrew said this. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in numbers. And Jesus took the loaves and the fish, and he gave, them th- he gave thanks, and he distributed it back to them, so they were seated. Now they gathered up the fragments, and there was nothing, so nothing was lost, and there was 12 baskets left over. Now, this is the power of a seed. They had five barley loaves and two fish, and they had 5,000. They had to feed 5,000 with five barley. So they have a lack. They have a deficit. They have a famine situation going on, right? Jesus said, okay, he pointed out the need. And he said, how are we going to meet this need? He said, well, we've got to sow a seed. And so Andrew brought him the boy's lunch. The boy apparently gave it. We don't see anywhere in that they, that they, you know, twisted his little arm behind his back and took it from him as they flushed his head down the toilet, you know, taking his lunch. That he gave it. They gave it to Jesus. They sowed it as a seed. I'm fixing to get there. Yeah. So so they sowed it as a seed. Now, it was a seed. It was a seed, and it had a specific purpose, did it not? That seed was named. What was it named? Go ahead. Abundance, for, it, was, it was named enough food for 5,000. That's all we need. Whatever, okay, that's good. Okay, y'all are getting it, y'all are getting it. So at least, okay, a seed, I'm going to give this to Jesus against my lack because how do we, end? we have a darkness situation and we have a lack situation going on, don't we? We move in the opposite direction. We take this seed of these loaves and we give it to Jesus, we sow it. We release it. We release it into the kingdom. Ah, oh, this is where it gets good, y'all. And then the kingdom, see, he offered, there's a system working in this world. This system in this world is a broke system. 
But there's a system in the kingdom of God that works entirely differently than this system. And you'll live in this broke system for the rest of your life until you learn how to be a seed seeker instead of a need seeker. So he said, I need a seed See, most of us look at our needs and then we say, I need this need met. But see, Jesus' kingdom-minded people say, I have a need. I've got to get me a seed. And so, is this Mike? How do we live? Now, this truth, I, we have lived this way, but just recently. Now, both of us. The Lord spoke this to both of us separately so that we know it has a double word on it. Now, I believe, and I, I, this is my question to say this, because I don't know if this is just for us or it's for you too. Okay, good, good. So I'm, this is what I'm saying. This is where I'm saying this. So I, this is why I say if you have ears to hear. Okay, so here Mike says, and I, say, I said, Mike, I feel like we are in a, there's a blessing on a harvest coming. He said, yes. And we know what to do. If there's, a ble- if there's a promised harvest, what do we do? Seed is blessed. There's a blessing on the seed. I believe we are in a seed time. Now, I'm telling you this. If you're not a tither and you're like, well, I'm going to start sowing seeds instead of tithing. Get fixed on tithing first. You're not ready for this. You're not even ready. You're a manipulator. You want to get stuff, and you don't want to show obedience in the areas that you need to be showing obedience. You don't? No, no, no. It would be harder, Andy, for me not to because there's grace on it. Absolutely. And see, what I would cost, what I would tell you to do is I would tell you to steward your tithe. Know where you're tithing. Understand when you get your, see, what do we do every year, Mike, when we get our income tax? Our giving. We do. And I won't even tell you. It does. 10% is not what we give. Yes. Mike and I learn to tithe on what we want to receive. That's, what, that's it. So, and there, but there comes times. There's, this is where I want to, there's an environment. Like you step into a threshold. You see, and I, I fear teaching this for some people. Think, She's just a prosperity teacher. I'm not. I'm not asking you to give it to me. You see what I'm saying? If I'm going to say, and I've got a receptacle here, and I want you to make the checks out to Andrea, that would be one thing. But I'm not doing that. I want you to enter into a place where you understand how to walk in harvest. It is. And but it is. It's been on beating. But here's what I know about seed. That this is where we're different. See, tithing is different. Seed sowing, when I give and I call something a seed, I know what it is. How many of you just go to the Lowe's when you're going to plant a garden and you close your eyes and just start picking seed packets up and you open them up and pour them all in a bucket and then when you get out there you're just like. You don't. You don't sow seed that way. You know what the seed is. How many of you label your seed in rows? Y'all are such good little farmers. You want to know because when you, when you put it under the ground, what is it to you? Lost. 
It's lost to you, right? So you put a label there to know these are tomatoes or these are eggplant or these are peppers because you have an expectation for what you put in the ground. But when you give, you're a moron. <laughs> I just throw it out. I just, you know, I'm just so spiritual. No. I give. Mike and I, the Lord told us to sow a seed. He told us what to call it. He told us where to put it. And then when then there becomes such a grace on seed sowing for us, what do we do? Oh, we're like, what do we have? I start being a seed seeker. I know when I'm in a seed sowing season, I'm not going to sit by and let seed time go to waste because I know there's a harvest coming. Through our life, we've done this. We raised a budget to go to Scotland. Our monthly budget to go to Scotland was $10,000 a month. Europe is expensive. That included, you're like, you made that much money? No, that was our project money. That was our housing. That was everything. So what we did as Assemblies of God World Missionaries, we then received our budget from Springfield. All of it is stewarded. 10000 it's all broken down. What, this is going to go to housing. This is going to go to pay. This is going to go to this. This is going to go to projects. This is going to go to this. This is going to go to this. this equals $10,000. i am like, dear God. Now realize we're raising, we're ra- I'm going to say it, we're raising dollars to live on pounds. At the time, the exchange rate was two to one. So when we took $10,000 and exchanged it, we got 5,000 pounds. So see, there's a, we had to also raise for the exchange rate is two. As well, 10000 wasn't enough to live in that economy. When you pay $8 for four chicken breasts, you cry when you burn one. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is, you know what you're paying here. And so the Lord, t- I said, Lord, how are we going to do this? And the Lord told us one thing. He said, you will sow. He already taught me this lesson. See, this, wasn't, this lesson wasn't for nothing. If you've got a call on your life to do something, my admonition to you, my encouragement to you, is to sow in that direction. If you're called to, I don't know, what could be, help me with this somebody. Huh? There you go. You found something, a seed that you could put in toward that. So you are, you're, you're sourcing your future with seed. See what I mean? You you put it in the ground and you labeled it. You labeled it, didn't you? We keep a, a harvest barometer. We where we write down the seed, how much we made, what day we sowed it at, and then when the return comes, we keep a record of it. Right. I taught my children this too. One year, we the Lord I've given away four cars total now. Mike and I. We've given away four cars. And so we were giving away our our fourth car. It was our newest. The other ones were older. We give away three older cars. This one was a new one. This was two, two and a half years old. That's a pretty good car to give away, right? You'd want to receive that, wouldn't you? He told us where to send it. It was a seed. And we told our children, because we wanted to, our kids are old enough to understand this concept. I'm going to, I'm breaking the back of poverty, y'all. I'm not handing it to my children. My children are not poor. You see what I mean? And so I, I show them, me and Mike got together. We prayed about, felt the Lord on this, to give this car away to a family. It was in December. We went, we told our kids we were going to because, we, because they went to school with the girl. And we did not want that to be weird at all, right? So we we're preparing them in all of this. So they're with, this, they're with us in this. And we told them, we feel the Lord is calling us to sow a seed here. Toward, at this time, toward our future for where we live and for our provision. 
We knew what it was. Okay? So we go to a ball game. We only have two cars. It's not like we have extra cars. You know what I'm saying? We have two cars. Mike has a pickup and I have this van. The van is paid for. We take the title. We sign our name on the release of it. We take the keys. We take both cars to the, the ball game. We know the family's going to be there because their daughter plays ball. It's just before Christmas, so there's a break in between. We strategize this because we didn't want it to be, we wanted time away from it so they didn't have to see us. You see what I mean? We didn't want it to be weird at all. Beholden. So we could give it and walk away, and there was, a, there was two or three weeks of break. Yes. And so we went into the ball game. We watched the entire ball game. We waited until the ball game was over because we wanted to be able to leave when it happened. Mike walked up on the bleachers, and he said, hey, the Lord spoke to me. They had a wreck, and they had torn up the exact same van. The Lord spoke to us. We want to sew our van to you. And the woman, they were borrowing a car, started crying. And, he said, and the dad was like, what? He said, yes. And he, signed, he handed him the keys and the, and the um, title. He's like, no, I can't receive it. He said, you have to. It's the Lord. And they just sat there crying. And we left. What did we do? We sowed a seed. Now, not three weeks later, we get a call. We have no idea. Someone calls us and said, Mike, Andrea, I want to give you something. The Lord has laid on my heart. What? No. 11 acres of land. How many of y'all think we would have received that 11 acres had we not sown the seed? There was a seed that released it. This lady over here had a testimony that the Lord spoke to her to sow a seed offering, right? You did, did you have it? Was you, she was scared. So scared it took her a few days, didn't it? But the Lord's, I told you, you're, you're praying about it. You're, this is not something you do flippantly, is it? And so, I can't. She kept saying, I can't. But the Lord's moving on her to sow a seed. And so, she sows a seed. And she's, we only know this because she gave us the testimony. We have to have these kind of testimonies for learning. Then after she sowed that seed, you're still going, oh, my God, you're going to have to give me the ability to do this, Right? She made, a, she made a, a faith promise that she's going to sow the seed, and she didn't have it to sow. And so she's like, Lord, I'm doing it. I'm releasing it. And she understands. She's not doing it flippantly. She expects to pay it, right? Because you don't vow a vow and not pay it. And so she releases it the next week or two. The next week, she gets word that she's got money coming that she quite a bit more than the amount she sowed. Quite a bit more that she would have never, that she never knew she had. See, there's a harvest, but you have to, you sow. What happened was, is when we, like in this instant of the feeding the 5,000, see, we all, the kingdom of God is not with observation, the Bible says. The kingdom of God is within. So there, what that means, the, where's the kingdom of God if you're a born-again child of God? Right here. Right here. It's within you. It's within you. So I live in a world full of natural systems, right? How many of y'all live in a world full of natural systems? You do. But then there's another world full of supernatural systems that live inside of me. And so whenever I introduce the natural realm, such as giving five loaves and two fish to the supernatural system, the supernatural system overrides the natural system and kicks out a reality that was never in the system. 
This is the power of seed sowing, guys. This is it. So we're operating in a different system when we do that. There's a system within me. It has laws and orders. It's a received system. But see, now here, I want you to get this. The kingdom of God, I, have the king, I live in the kingdom of God. The Bible says do not worry about what you'll eat or what you will drink or what you will wear, right? But yet in the garden after man fell, there was a curse. Toil was, was on the work, right? I, the kingdom of God, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, because of this, I no longer, I live and then do. I don't do then live. I live then do. Because of that, I operate in another system where I don't work, I don't live in a toil system. I live in a receive system. That's the kingdom system I live in. See, you can choose what system that you operate in. I live in a sowing and reaping system. So the word as Isaiah says, so my word shall be that goes forth from my mouth. It's like snow and it's like rain, comparatively there. It's the, the word is the living expression. The word goes forth and it awakens the system. What I'm doing today is I am standing in the office of teacher. I'm standing in the office of prophetic teacher. And I am releasing the word, the living expression. And now it will touch seed in some of your lives it won't all of you it will awaken seed in some lives and it will be like and when it awakens seed the word will touch an area of your understanding and it will awaken that seed in your life see the seed was already in the earth the word is not the seed in that parallel the seed was already there it's like death valley california it does not receive like negative rainfall, right? It's, it's a desert. Every hundred years or so, it will have above average rainfall. And you know what will happen at Death Valley, California? It will bloom amazing flowers. The rain didn't bring the seed, did it? It awakened it. And so that is what I am doing today. I'm trying to awaken the seed of understanding in you so that you can operate in the, in the system of the kingdom. You cannot grow what you do not sow. We have to be seed seekers and not need seekers. We have to look for opportunity to seed your future. You need vision to be a sower. If I felt called to missions... I would sow to missions. Clint, you feel called to chaplaincy. I would find every chaplain in the world and sow seed there. When we went to Scotland, we needed a youth pastor. Every time, we're seed seekers now, every time a youth minister came our way that it looked like the right ground. We weren't throwing it out to homeless people. You see what I'm saying? That's alms. A youth ministry or something, we'd be like, what, you're doing what? So what did we do? We gave to speed the light. That's a youth ministry. We're like, we're sowing. What are you doing? We're sowing to speed the light. Why? We need a youth pastor in Scotland. We call this seed here. This is above tithe, right? We give it. We're like, here, there's a, sec there's a seed, and I call that a youth pastor. Our very first itineration service was in Mesquite. Very first one. We stood up. We gave the call for Scotland. The youth pastor that was there at Mesquite, he called us three days later. He said, ay, 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 
I never saw myself in missions, but when you got up and told me about Scotland, the Lord told me I am called to be a youth pastor and to work under y'all's ministry. It's a seed. The seed does what the seed does. And so we did that over and over again. We sowed seeds. We needed a building. We found places that, like, that looks like a building. We need that. I would find we needed, we needed to get our whole family to Scotland. I would hear of a missionary who didn't have the money to travel. You know what I'd do? I'd buy the plane ticket. Why? That looks like what I need. That, that, that resembles I need my whole family to travel there. And to live there. If I, I see a seed. The widow at Zarephath. It's um, 1 Kings 17. And we're leaving with this. 1 Kings 17. She comes in. She's going to, she has a little meal and a little oil, right? She's going to eat it and die. But the man of God comes and he says, wait, give it to me first. He gave her an opportunity to turn it into a seed. And that seed brought harvest throughout the entire time of drought. So I leave you with that today. I believe that we are entering a time of seed sowing. I do. I feel it. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm sort of reticent to say because the timing, I don't know if it's my timing or your timing or our timing. And that's why I say it's for if you have ears to hear. Because I'm not trying to exact money from you. Understand that. I feel like I have to say this. I have to tell you we are entering a time of, of seed sowing. But your seed sowing is worthless if you're not presently a tither. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's just, it's, that's the, I told y'all. See, y'all should have been practicing this a long time ago. You'd have been ready for this day. Now you've got to do all this. I mean, the Lord's merciful. He'll help you with it. But I'm telling you, multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision. What you decide today is going to have the impact for next year or the years after. And it may be even very more, much more immediate. Now, if you have ears to hear, there is a grace being released on this. And I pray that you hear this in the spirit it was given. Because in a time of economic famine, woe to be those who will not operate in faith. I want some Isaacs to arise who know how to sow in time.